Every year, I make some promises to myself. They're not really like resolutions. They're more like just healthy reminders to take things a little slower, to not drive myself into the ground with trying to write a script, going to five meetings, making it to boot camp, emailing 11 people back, picking up the kids from school, going to Whole Foods, reading that amazing piece in The Atlantic, coming up with some awesome ideas for that episode on surveillance. I got to put in my expenses. Wait, did I get reimbursed for those other ones? Oh, yeah. West Elm is having a sale. Did I keep that coupon? I need to make sure that Kai looks for his jacket that he left at school. Does Soraya need new sneakers? Is that why she's always saying her feet hurt? Crap, I also should get my words done. They look terrible. Did I ever find my other iPhone charger? Oh, no. Wait, it's Rosie's birthday next month. Man, I still haven't finished that Tom Hazy Coats book. Oh, and I guess I really should schedule a date night, right? Did I need a protein today? Yikes, my phone is running out of power. It's Note to Self, the tech show about being human. I'm Anoush Samarodi. And I want an organized brain. I want a brain that can prioritize, that can filter out all the stupid stuff, but will remind me about the important things. A brain that can make sense of everything, not just take it all in. Because between my phone, email, and social media, I feel like I am living the equivalent of three people's lives. So I wanted to talk to this guy. I'm Daniel Levitin. I'm a professor of psychology and neuroscience at McGill University. Dr. Daniel Levitin's book is The Organized Mind. And today you're going to get a few simple tips and reminders. Dare I say notes to selves? Notes to selves? Whatever you want to call it. Reminders on how we can use our time and energy better every single day. And you're actually going to be hearing more from him later this month when we dig deeper into how we can help ourselves deal with information overload. Now, shh, I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen yet, but I can promise that it's going to be interactive. It's going to make you smarter. It's going to be fun. Some might even say it's going to be magical. But we're still putting the finishing touches on our project. And of course, we need to take into account what you think. So we have a survey at notetoself.org. And we need you, our core group of listeners, to take this survey to help us understand what information overload means to you. When do you feel it? What do you feel? Do you get like an eye twitch, a headache? How do you cope? Do you go crazy deleting emails? Maybe you hide the phone. I don't know. Take our quick and fun survey at notetoself.org. Your answers will help us put the final touches on a project that we are making for you about how we can consume information better. But shh, not now. It's coming later this month, okay? Super exciting. Okay, back to the simple tips and reminders on how to use our time and energy wisely at work and in play in 2016. And I asked Dr. Daniel Levitin where to even start. The first question I would ask myself is, how much time during the workday am I actually working? Mm. And how much time am I sort of appearing like I'm working but I'm not because I'm Facebooking or checking Twitter, Vine, Tumblr, Instagram – uh, you name it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, keep track for a few days. You know, how much time do I actually spend doing this? And include things like, you know, going grocery shopping and talking to friends on the phone or texting with people. I mean, just sort of get a lay of the land and then look at it. Most people will be surprised to find they're spending less time working than they thought they were. And I think that contributes to these feelings that so many of us have these days that 
when you're at work, you're thinking about all the things you wanted to do at home. And when you're at home, you're thinking about all the work you didn't get done. And when you're at dinner, you're wishing that you were doing something different. And you're probably texting somebody who's not at dinner with you and ignoring the people who are there with you. And it's, you know, we're never really in one place fully. And I think that's no way to be. I think being present and immersed in what's happening now leads to a richer and a more satisfying life. So I think the first step is asking yourself, where does my time go? And I'm not saying that you should only spend 10 minutes or only spend six hours on social media in a day. I'm just saying you should know how much it is mm -hmm. and then make a decision about whether that's how you want to keep going. I don't think anybody ends up on their deathbed saying to themselves, gee, I really wish I had spent an extra three days on Facebook. The other thing I think that's important, and I think this is really important, is that you write down all the things that you have to do. Clear it all out of your head so that you're not using up neural resources with that little voice in your brain reminding you to pick up milk on the way right. home and to uh, check to see if you paid the utility bill and you have to call back Aunt Tilly because she left a voicemail and it's been two days and she's going to worry. And I mean, you know, all this chatter, get it out of your head, write it down, and then prioritize things. I think too many of us show up at work and we start working on whatever we left off yeah. on the night before or we start working on whatever the newest email asks us to work on. And in that way, we're letting the environment tell us how to spend our time. We're not being very planful or deliberate. How many of those things can we hold in our mind? Four. That's it? <laughs> After, so yeah. I must m make sure I pick up bread and I have a meeting at two that I need to prepare for and – oh, I need to drop off my shoes to whatever be repaired and I need to write this email to that person. That's it. Pretty much. And the rest is just wearing me down? Like, it won't happen because I can't remember it. Yeah, or it'll compete for neural resources with what you really are doing at the moment and what's in front of you. Your oh, brain will be narrating all of this undone stuff. But when you write it down, you know, your brain's smart enough to know that you wrote it down and it stops bugging you about it particularly if you prioritize the stuff. Then at least, you know, you get home at the end of the day, it's unlikely you'll have done everything that you had to do, but by definition, you'll have done the most important things. Right. The other thing, something very powerful happens too. You look at your list of things to do and there's one that you've put there on top. Yes. You sit down to do that and you really become immersed in it. Instead of wondering like so many of us do, Am I, is there something else I should be doing? Is this really the thing I should be doing? Is it, Let me check my email. Maybe there's something more important. I mean, it, it sounds like you are defining what makes a lot of us very anxious. For me, I am sort of obsessed with to-do apps. I love to write everything down. I don't get a lot of it done. That gives me a sickening feeling in my stomach. And then also this feeling at the end of the day of my mind just racing is it because I'm trying to shove all these things into my head is literally I'm picturing it as like a water wheel. The water is pushing it faster and faster and faster and faster. I th yes, I think what's happening and you're not alone. I mean, I've heard this from now from hundreds and hundreds of people. There's a research literature on this. I think what's happening is if you don't write stuff down and prioritize it, you have to do both. You have to do both. Then during the day when information comes in, you're not quite sure how important it is or how important it's going to be. You have no system for it. You can't attach it to anything on your priorities list. And so you put it in your brain and you kind of toss it and turn it around. And because it, it doesn't attach to anything, 
it takes up neural resources. And you describe this feeling of being sick. You use the word anxiety also. This comes from the release of cortisol in the brain, the stress hormone. And cortisol is released whenever we're trying to do more than we can handle. It's part of the fight-or-flight response, which made a whole lot of sense in hunter-gatherer times. But now it's just toxic. It makes your stomach ache. It shuts down your immune system. You're more likely to get sick when you're stressed, all because of cortisol. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember you writing that women suffer more from they, – they can't handle clutter as easily as men and therefore – they are more susceptible to being overloaded with cortisol because clutter yeah. releases cortisol when yeah. you feel icky about it? So this is not true of every woman and every man, of course. It's, we're talking about you know averages. But there was a very clever experiment done where uh, you know women walk into a room and it's got piles of clothes on the floor and things are out of place and then their cortisol levels are measured. And quite reliably, women's cortisol levels would spike at a certain level of clutter. And it took a whole lot more clutter for men's cortisol levels to reach the same. Can I just say, I think you've really helped my marriage by saying that because <laughs> it really explains a lot, like why there's a tension sometimes with my spouse. Like I get very upset when things are crazy in our house and I feel like I can't think and I don't understand why it doesn't bother him in the slightest. So I guess the question is, the way we used to take in information used to be kind of linear. Mm -hmm. Like you would – wherever you were in your life, that's where you were taking in information. Yeah, right? it was somewhat programmatic and structured. People told you things you needed to know in, in sufficient time for you to deal with them. Your kid would come home with a little flyer from school and you'd have two weeks to sign it and send it back. And Right. And now having – lived at a time when I sat down at 6.30 p.m. every night to watch the evening news. Now I feel like I'm living five different lives simultaneously, and I literally have five different calendars and three different email inboxes and four different social media platforms. I have to be in all these different places at once. How do you manage all of them, first of all? And how do you make sure you get the ones that really count? If they all feel kind of the same, they all look the same on my computer. Because when you're with a person, then you know when it's really important. You have a moment with them. But that's what bothers me about a lot of this stuff. It's, it's, it's very flattened because it's all on screens. It's tricky. Your observation about it all being the same and all on screens and all looking the same is really fascinating. Because in the old days... When a lot of communication was by snail mail, you could tell just by the envelope something about how important and timely it was, right? I mean, there used to be these envelopes with the little cellophane window, and you knew those were likely to be bills. And, you know, if something was hand-addressed, you knew it was probably an invitation. And there was something about the form itself that told you the function. And we don't have that so much anymore. But having four different um, social networking sites that you're following or four different email accounts is actually something I recommend mm. because it allows you to partition things uh, by order of importance. So if you've got kids, you might want to have two separate email accounts relating to them. One is urgent communications from their doctors, from their school, uh, from other parents perhaps. And then a second one, which is stuff that's not so urgent. So if somebody wants to invite uh, little Justin to a birthday party and the party's six weeks from now, you know, you have instructed the people in your social network that goes to account number two. 
But if the principal's saying we have to have a meeting tomorrow, that goes to account number one. And you prioritize which accounts you look at and how you deal with them. So for people who, you know, there are a lot of people working shifts or they have certain tasks that must be done by certain times of the day. If they're not in control of their schedule, what are some things that they can do to stay cognitively straight? Well, I think it still comes down to prioritizing. And if your boss comes into you and says, I need you to do this by three o'clock, you can certainly remind the boss, you know, you told me yesterday that this other thing has to be done by three o'clock. I can't do them both. Which one do I do? So it's about prioritizing. It's about communication. Your boss may end up doing it herself or assigning it to somebody else. Uh, the boss may not remember that you had two things that were due at three. Talk to people. Yeah. Very good. Dr. And Levitin. often in person. Great. <laughs> Dr. Levitin, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So you want to track your time, find out, really find out where are you spending it all. Then the other thing you want to do is write down everything that you need to get done. Everything. And then here's the key. You need to prioritize what really needs to be done first. Okay, here's what else you need to do. Find a way of making all your digital stuff look different. And maybe that means using different email accounts for different parts of your life or just juicing up Gmail using the filters that they actually provide. And then finally, communicate. Really talk to the people around you, your kids, your boss, whoever. Explain to them why you can't be everywhere doing everything they want you to be doing right this moment. Oh, clutter and cortisol. It's a thing. Like, the stress, it's real. Don't beat yourself up about it. Dr. Daniel Levitin's book is The Organized Mind, and we will be digging deeper with him and many other crazy researchers and cognitive psychologists and technologists, and most importantly, you, dear listeners, later this month. Super exciting. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss it. If you loved Bored and Brilliant, get ready. I think this might even be better. If you know someone who could use some tech and self-reflection in 2016, go get them to subscribe too. Next week, it's been a year since I deleted the game Two Dots from my phone as a sign of protest against time-sucking apps. Your move. Yes! You did it. How do you feel? Nauseous. Really? No, I really feel nauseous. I feel sad. Technology makers sometimes make us feel and act like addicts. You'll hear whether I was successful in keeping two dots off my phone for a year, and you'll find out if that episode changed how the designer of that game thinks about distraction and his responsibility to his users. His responsibility to me. His responsibility to you. Because as many of you discovered, too, over the past year, those bouncing dots have bizarre powers. Oh, and don't forget to take that information overload survey. It's at notetoselfradio.org. The Note to Self team is Jen Poyant, Ariana Tobin, Amy Eason, and Joe Plord. Note to Self is a production of WNYC Studios. I'm Anoush Samarodi, and I am so pumped for 2016. Are, with these mothers, are you using that as a derogatory, like these mother or <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs>
You have a clenched jaw in the room with these mothers. 